Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Hello and welcome to episode 204 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Kara H.L. Chen. She grew up near Cleveland, Ohio, where she once had to shovel snow off her car with a plastic trash can. Dang. She now lives on the West Coast with her husband and daughters and is learning how to use an Instapot. She has undergraduate degrees in English and economics, a JD, and an MFA in fiction. She has used her economics degree exactly once when she tried to make a joke about marginal costs and marginal returns. It did not go well. And that is her biography. And I'm sure there's so much more that we're going to learn about her. Welcome. How are you today? Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is a great honor. Oh, it's awesome. Talk. It's a great honor to have you. The um, the alphabet soup, you know, I read over the bio before and I, for some reason, the, the, the JD kind of slipped by me. Do you use that? Do you practice or? Um, no longer. I, I okay. practiced for a bit um, and then uh, and I transitioned into writing, but mm. apparently I really like school. I just have a lot uh, of degrees, which is great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we were just talking before recording about... Uh, about the wonder, wondrous state of Ohio where you grew up. Um, right. I'm sure you're not missing the snow, you know, being on the West Coast. I am not uh, missing the snow at all. Right? I, yeah, that right. is the one thing about Ohio that I absolutely do not miss. Yeah. I don't I don't know exactly what the joke was, but it actually seemed like it was kind of a dynamite joke that you had. And if they didn't laugh, it was their fault. The one about the marginal cost and marginal returns. I thought that it would hit its target audience. You know, economics yeah. majors would definitely hopefully yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Their loss. Yeah. You know, it's not on you, it's on them. Um, right. I'd love to know about growing up, growing up in Ohio. Am I, am I correct that your parents are Taiwanese immigrants? Yes, that's right. They're both from Taiwan. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to know just about language or languages in your house. Were you monolingual? Did you speak only English? Did you, you know, understand more than you spoke of your parents' languages? Like, and then just, of course, like with, with reading and writing, I mean, were you the, the quintessential like library kid or did reading and writing come la later for you? Yeah, um, languages, um, my parents are from Taiwan, so they speak Taiwanese, they speak Mandarin, they speak uh, English. My dad also speaks Japanese as well. Wow. Um, they spoke Taiwanese at home uh, and Mandarin was kind of like their secret language that they used uh, when they were talking about us, but they didn't mm -hmm. want us to know what they were talking about. Um, so my brother and I, we understand Taiwanese um pretty well but uh as for me I don't speak it very well it kind of it's a very interesting thing I understand it pretty fluently but when I try to speak it it unfortunately comes out in a very like five-year-old third grade okay. like 
me go bathroom kind of way sadly but um but I do understand it uh and then so mostly we spoke English at home my brother and I spoke English to my parents so they would often speak to us in Taiwanese and we would respond in English Uh, at home but um but yeah I definitely grew up reading a lot I was the library kid I had the bag full of books we would go every single week and I would just like shovel books in there and read all sorts of stuff so I was a big reader when I was younger yeah is, is there anything about Taiwanese in particular that like, you, you know, like you, say you don't speak it well, but like you can almost like trace in your English writing? Like, is it is it a, a you know, language of brevity? Is it like more poetic? Like, I, I don't know. Is there anything you could maybe trace to that? No, or- it's interesting. It's um not not really, but I am because of Taiwanese. I think I'm very fascinated with um word choice and mm-hmm. it kind of made you fo- like it made me focus very early on about the meaning of words and specific words because oftentimes there would be words that my parents would understand but they wouldn't quite understand the connotation of words mm-hmm. so I feel like I've always been kind of sensitive to that kind of thing and I've always thought about it and I think that definitely makes its way into my writing you know oh, very cool yeah so what, what were you reading I was um my daughter just came home. My daughter is a seven-year-old second grader and, you know, they get to pick at the library. And I was like, Oh my gosh, she came home with a, a graphic novel version of the babysitter's club. <gasps> oh my yes. gosh. Exciting. Right. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you all the names, but I recognize Claudia. I recognized yeah. Buddy Kishi. And then I guess Ann Martin's the author, but I recognize some of the names for sure. I think it's pretty much the same. So oh my, my two God. brothers and I were babysitter club big big time in the baby. One hundred percent, me too. Right? Too. So, so what else besides the great babysitters club? What else were you into? Oh, I love the babysitters club so much, and I was so excited about those graphic novels. My kids are reading them as well, and I was just like, I was reading them because I was like, oh my gosh, I like vaguely remember the storylines. Right. Um, I used to love this series called The Three Investigators. It was kind of like like this mystery series. I'm not sure if it's like around anymore. I should look at that. Um. And uh, the Westing game, I love the the Westing okay. game. But I was reading like all sorts of. I was kind of just whatever was available. I was kind of reading it uh, at the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. As you got into to high school, college, um, I mean, were you on the path like I want to be a lawyer? I want to be a writer. Who knows what I'm going to be? But but I guess more so, like, what were some of the really important texts, writers, or writing that really uh, made you into a lifelong reader and then later a writer? Yeah, I um I definitely read a lot also in school. Um I was pretty set on going to law school early, so I was studying that um pretty early, but uh, yeah, texts like I always loved like um like Michael Cunningham has beautiful texts, but also, you know, uh, works that I learned in school certainly formed a big foundation, but um as I've gotten older, I think I've gravitated a little bit more towards like historical fiction, like I loved all the light you cannot see. I loved mm. Pachinko particularly. Um, I thought that was great. But other modern things I'm reading, I just finished Yellow Face, which is fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I've heard so great good things, great things, so amazing. Yeah. yeah, that book is like I just want to pass out copies to everybody that I know. I, I think it's. Did so you good. read Babel as well? I did not read Babel, but yeah. it is now on my list because I okay. I had not read her before. So um, okay. yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Who else, I guess, that's uh, con- contemporary writers, who are you really like waiting on their next book or her short story or, or whatever? 
Yeah, um, I uh, I read a lot of George Saunders short stories, but um, to be honest, like because of the last couple of years, I have been under deadline, like writing, because I had this like to do. I have not actually been able to read as much as I want to because I tend to not read as much when I'm writing because it just feels like two separate processes to me. Mm -hmm. So Yellowface is probably the most recent. Oh, I also read it, This Time It's Real. It's a YA book by Anne Liang. I thought that was really great. It's a very, um, very cute like rom-com. And I'm in the middle of this book called Green Island by Shauna Yang Ryan. It's actually about the history of Taiwan and uh, it was fictionalized. It's fiction, okay. but it's about um, Taiwan after World War II and how the political aspects of that and how people were incarcerated for speaking out against the government. And it's mm. it's extremely powerful. Um, so I'm enjoying that as well. Mm. The um, I guess um, some of the links, maybe if you could talk about some of the links between the big time reader as a kid. And then it sounds like you, um, you know, did some other other work, other other professions. How did you how did the writing bug stick to you that's not the term how did how did you catch the writing bug or how did you know writing become something where like I'm gonna actually write a book, book yeah I feel like it's something that I've always um I've always done like even when I was younger I used to make like little books out of construction paper and you know yeah. whatever and um and law in a way uh seemed to me not not quite the same but definitely seemed adjacent to writing you know mm -hmm. like they're like you're still forming an argument and you're still dealing with words and you're still dealing with the presentation of a story in a way when you're making a case, you know? Um, so it seemed to me maybe a more, <laughs> not practical, but I would say, you know, like it, it is a, it was a way to get a degree in a profession and a job perhaps that was a little bit more straightforward, but yeah. even when I was a lawyer, I was still trying to take writing classes. I was always trying to figure out how to finish a book or get a book in it some point I was like you know what I'm just going to try to get an MFA I'm just going to mm. like try to go for it and see what happens um yeah. and see if we can make this work and so I did yeah and then it, start journey yeah is is um kind of the stereotypical like law writing for laws maybe a little bit more black and white a little bit more like you know kind of like practical but am I I also heard people say it doesn't necessarily have to be that way did you do you feel like you it's a different part of your brain that does like writing for law versus writing for YA yeah, I think that's right. And also the thing, <laughs> the thing that I did not realize is that so law is very like if you write a brief, it's very much like uh, what I understand like science writing to be, which is that you put all the important information up front with the yeah. thought that people are going to, you know, not have a lot of time. You have like a little summary. You put yeah. all the important things up front. So my first legal brief, I wrote it like a fiction piece where I was like, oh, I'm putting the smoking gun on page four. Like uh, you have to have like, you got to get them to the, read the <laughs> and my writing professor was like, Exposition. Uh, no, you can't, you can't hide that most important fact on the fourth mm -hmm. page. You really have to put it up in the front. So people will say, I was like, ooh. so I've been, it's, it's almost like a little, the structure of it is very different um, of how things are structured. But but the interesting thing about law is that if you read a case, they're all structured the same. So you can kind of be like, mm. oh, I, you know, you can you do know very quickly, like where the case is going and all that. But um, it's different than fiction. certainly. Mm. <laughs> was there a eureka moment or eureka moments where, you know, someone maybe in an MFA or before where someone was like, wow, you you're really good at this. Or you realize that you kind of struck a nerve in a good way and that you're like, man, I, I want to keep doing this, maybe even for a profession. 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, um, I did like, a, you know, I did like a writing competition when I was in, I think it was in middle school. I did pretty well at that. And then um, I was a dual major with economics and English in undergrad. And I, so I had done a couple uh, writing competitions and gotten scholarships and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well. Um, but I never tried. Uh, I never tried until after I finished my MFA to write a novel. And that's just like a whole different thing. So I was definitely, you know, afloat in the ocean, just trying to figure out how to do that for a couple of years. Yeah. Well, such an awesome piece in the acknowledgements. Is it pronounced Ung? Jen Ung? Ung. Yeah. Ung. Jen yeah. Ung. And you describe how she become, she was your editor for Love and Resistance. Yeah. And that you'd read her American Panda and it was like an incredible representation of Taiwanese or Taiwanese American, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a way, I guess, a way of getting the question about like, did you feel a sense of representation at all growing up? Was that something that you had to seek out or you felt like was just kind of non-existent? Uh, definitely. Yeah, definitely non-existent. I mean, we talked about Babysitter's Club. I honestly, it was like Claudia from Babysitter's Club. Right, and right. honestly, there was like nothing. And so Jen is my editor. She's absolutely brilliant. And she's been like the champion for all sorts of um, API books. You know, she did, in addition to American Panda, she did like Made in Korea and the Jasmine Project and a faux love, love story and all these books that are just fantastic so when she actually became my editor it was just a very full circle moment because american panda was the very first book i had ever read where it was a taiwanese american protagonist i'd never seen Mm -hmm. it before and it was such a it was such a important moment for me even though i read it as an adult like just having that on the page was so important for me so having her actually edit my books was uh was just amazing thanks what, can you tell me more or less what what year did American Panda come out? Um, I think it was I I may be incorrect, but I think it was twenty seventeen or I want to say okay. twenty seventeen or eighteen. Pretty, pretty recent, okay. But it could be twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, yeah. maybe. But I feel like at the end of of twenty tens, at the end of. That. You know what? I have access to the internet. I'll look it up in a minute. Maybe. Okay, we'll see which I. Yeah, see. <laughs> My feeling is twenty seventeen. You could tell me if I'm wrong or right. I okay, think, all right. Or eighteen. Wait. Wait, I have to pick one. Make a pick. Yeah, exactly. Make your selection. <laughs> 18, 18, 18. Okay, so here we go. So I'm, I'm looking it up. I'm going to ask you too about, let me look it up here. 2018. American Panda. It's going to be 17. It's going to be like a cultural coming of age story of May Lou. Is that the one we're talking about? A freshman studying to be a doctor at MIT. Is that the right book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Gloria Chow. Drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. It is three days before my birthday, 2018. 18. Yep. Okay. Yep. Perfect. There it is. Okay. Um, Thank you, Bernie. I didn't think that it was. (laughs) I I could have looked it up. I should have looked it up, you know. I'd love to know about YA also. Like, did you, was that a stretch for you at first? Or did you feel like you always were were kind of aiming for YA? And just kind of uh, maybe some of the challenges of writing for YA and also some of the benefits or some of the, I don't know, for lack of a better word, cool things about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, in, in my MFA program, it was uh, definitely more like literary fiction and there was like a lot of short stories, but also novel. Um, and the focus was on literary. So I kind of left the program thinking that I was maybe going to try my hand at a literary fiction novel or short stories or something like that. But at the time, um, you know, I finished my program and it was, um, it was like 
I finished my classwork like two weeks before I had my first child. So oh, um, wow. I had, I had my baby and then all of a sudden, like my attention was all like, you know, like all over the place. And, but I still wanted to, to read. And I kept hearing about all these other amazing books. So I was trying to get a whole bunch of books on my, um, my phone so I could read while I was trying to put uh, my baby to sleep. Uh, and I started reading um, YA books that just, because I kept seeing the same books getting recommended over. And, and then I just, I just loved, it was just, like almost like coming home I was like oh this is what I'm supposed to be doing I mean like I love this genre I love these books like this kind of age is so important I think um they're dealing with a lot of issues for the first time that there's it's very um important uh for teenagers to experience these things but also I think to think about it critically but I think you know as authors we are older so we can kind of look at it from a older perspective. So being able to blend that, I think, uh, was very exciting for me. So I kind of just went on the YA train and never looked back, you know, I was yeah. like, oh, this is fabulous, yeah. What does YA mean to like a publisher? Is that like, you know, 14 to 17? Is that 14 and beyond? Is it 12 and beyond? Like who who do you kind of picture? Who maybe, maybe not necessarily you, but like the, the publishing company, who are they targeting? Like what specific age, I guess? I think, I think it's, and someone who's in publishing may know more than me. My impression is that it's, I think if the protagonist is in high school, because there's middle grade as well, and there's up, up, upper middle grade and lower okay. YA, I think those overlap a little bit, but it's my understanding. So that it would be like the high, the high school years, if your protagonist is kind of in that age range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. definitely see my high school students reading. I mean, it's like very, my, our students, as well as the ones in Love and Resist, they're like clever and quippy, you know, I just made up that word, but they quip, right? I mean, it's just very clever dialogue. I just, I really enjoy it. In, in love and resistance oh thank you it's only been out for three months july 4th i think or right around there yeah um, yeah they got me a great publishing date i was like oh, oh the day man. of the revolution <laughs> i was like oh, man. I right so i'd love to know like what kind of like the, some of the cool feedback you've gotten in these few months yeah i've it's been really it's been really nice i mean i think like uh, we were talking about before we started recording like it's you know i had been writing this book i mean it was, it took me 10 years to write this book. It took yeah, me a long time to write this book with that. revisions and then just getting an agent and getting an editor or whatever. So for so long, it's just in your head, you know, and then the, the experience of having someone, you know, read it or, um, you know, I met some people at readings as well, who came up to me and who were like, oh, we really liked your book. Like it's, it's actually, every time I hear it, I'm a little bit surprised. I'm like, oh, you know, you've read this book that's in my head. Like I, was like, I sometimes yeah. forget that it's actually like in print. I was like, how do you know about living in Griff? Like they've just been in my, but, um, but it's been really nice. It's been really nice. And I'm hoping that, um, that it finds its audience as well, that people enjoy it. You know, it's always a little nerve wracking to have someone read your work, but I always keep my fingers crossed that they'll like it when they yeah. read it. Yeah. Starts off with like the, the prologue well, I actually got like to, like to ask you first just about the seeds for the book itself. I mean, you said it's been kind of 10 years in the making, which probably means it's been 15 or 17, you know what I mean? Because there's probably little right. pieces here and there, just through our lives, right, that come up. Right. But like, was there, like, I just wonder about some of the seeds for the book. And then if you wouldn't mind, just because you're the one who wrote it, like maybe a little bit of summary for those who don't know, like, you know, the basics of it. Yeah, um, I had an idea about, it was just like a little 
random idea about a secret society of nerds. That's what I was calling them in my head who fight, um, kind of like fight the hierarchy or fight the bullies in their school. Yeah. And that's kind of all I had. Like that was the the genesis of the idea. And the book today is basically, uh, it's about Olivia Chang. She's a 17 years old and she's moved to a lot of different schools in her life. So she has a philosophy that it's much safer to just kind of be isolated from everyone. But one day she hears this uh, kind of microaggressive comment and she can't not say something. So she defends herself, but then she becomes a target. So she eventually meets up with the NerdNet, who is the secret underground network of nerds. And they've been kind of secretly thwarting the bullies' tactics for a couple months. So they join forces. She's a military strategist. They're kind of sneaky with their tactics. And they conspire to take the whole hierarchy down. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Nice elevator pitch. Thank you. <laughs> no, no wonder they bought the book. A little bit, a little bit long for an elevator. I, okay, I was right, trying right, to like right. <laughs> shorter, but yes, yeah, like you. a bigger building, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the uh, you talked about her being um, you know, with the microaggressions of kind of starting the 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 arc, if you will. But um, you know, line one. I mean, all the way back, you talked about her being like the military strategist. A lot of that she got from her grandpa, and you know, things that yeah. he taught her. Yeah. So the first line of the whole book is surviving high school is all about strategy, right? Yeah. She lays it out. She talks, she uses words like tactical and stealthy, yeah. you know, you know, about how to, how to not, how, not to thrive, but how to just like blend in. Is that safe to yeah. say? Yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought of high school as like, it's a hard time, you know, I like, you know, we of course have survived it and gone on beyond, but I have very vivid recollections of it just being like difficult. So mm -hmm. to me, the idea of it being like war seemed to <laughs> seem to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. The, um, you know, in some, some of the four schools and four states kind of thing. And she's been at some schools, she didn't really even have a name. She was just a new girl. So yeah. obviously there's so much there in her psychology about you know, about starting over and all those things with her mm -hmm. mom being like a military lawyer. Is that? Yeah. She's a lawyer with, the, with like Jag, you know? The... Yes. Jag, exactly. Right. Yeah. Very early on, she sits, uh, sits down in the cafeteria and they don't talk to each other really for a couple of days or even weeks, but she, <laughs> she meets this kid from her, this boy from her French class, Monsieur Griff. Yeah. Right. His real name yeah. is Alexander. The microaggressive comment you talk about was so we have Mitzi and Adeline. Am I saying her name right? Yeah, Adeline. That's how I say it in my head as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> and their crew, and you know, Mitzi's the the it girl, and she's the in Instagram influencer. Literally, yep. you know, mom's like a, a an actress who's right. kind of aged out of some of the roles with some of the sexism towards women, but she's, you know, but she's really well known. But um, they always ruin the curve. Would that be the the comment you're talking about? Yeah, like they, yeah, they say like, oh, of course, like that. Basically, there's a room full of kids doing extra credit, and and uh -huh. a lot of like most of them are Asian. She's like, oh, of course they're here. They always wreck the curve, you know, that kind of. I, thing. I wonder about the what what kind of like how you had it with um with Livia or Livia. Sorry, like you said, she's the the protagonist. Yeah. Did she how much she thought about like man, I should just keep my mouth shut versus how she just couldn't take it. I wonder yeah. about that that poll that play there. Yeah, I think that that was like the key. It was the key. It was like in her head, I think that's like the key debate. Like her history would suggest that she should not say anything, but it's like the one thing. It's like the one thing that she could not 
about keep quiet about yeah, because yeah, of yeah. her history with her because of what her grandfather went through because of what her mother goes through every day you know like that kind of thing it's like if they had said anything else about her she probably would have just let it go but that was like the one thing where she's just like you know and then that leads of course and of course you know just as a writer you need a inciting incident like that is the mm. that's the thing that launches you into the story so right Right. And then, you know, so um, a little bit down the line, there's there's the racist, uh, I think, Instagram post, some sort of social media post, you know, but really like blatantly racist. Yeah. And like you said, you know, she goes through her her memories about grandfather being treated poorly, to say the least, because, you know, his English wasn't greatest. Right. And all that. And obviously, she had great, great love for her grandpa. So yep. the, ner- the nerd net, um, like you said, is kind of, you know, is there to right some wrongs. Um, yes. Right. Yeah. And then. You know, interspersed in there, we have these memories of her father. She didn't have a lot of great memories of her father. Her father basically left the family. And his yes, his philosophy, right, was like winning is everything. Yeah. There's winners, yeah. there's losers. Yep. And that, unfortunately, is a lot of what Mitzi is like, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very zero-sum, zero-sum zero kind sum of game. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Versus the grandfather who would be, would have been his, her maternal grandfather, right? Yes, that's correct. Right. And his advice and always um, there's such a, a beautiful moment. I have my little notes here. I'll find it in a second. You know, where he was always just there knowing how to make her feel better. If it was a teddy bear, if it was a hug, if it was a conversation. Yeah. And she obviously she misses that so much is that sounds like grandpa passed away and father left in like a like a month span. Yeah. Yeah. It was very close in time. So it was kind of like this very big traumatic change all at once. She's young and she's really smart in different ways. I don't know what her GPA is, but she's just smart just about the world because she's you know yeah. been around so much. Yeah. I wonder about like playing amateur psychologist here a little bit, like how much how much she fully realizes how much she's been damaged is not the word, but but hurt by her father and how much of her trying to blend in is in response to her father leaving slash even her, her grandfather passing away. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Like that, that's definitely the basis of her psychology, I think. And I think in the beginning of the book, she does not have uh, an awareness. She's just like, this is how the world is. This is how I'm surviving in it. And I think it's not until she meets the nerd net and Griff and starts to open herself up to other people that she realizes that she even had those walls up. Um, And then the book is kind of the process of her being able to break that down and being able to make true friends for the first time. Yeah, I, I mean, her mom is not like in every single scene, but her mom is such an important character, obviously. And she, I just love how she's. Um, I can't understand the the racism they've gone through, but her, you know, her mom can, and yeah. her mom. But I just love the idea that her mom is just like, uh, I don't know, respectful of her space, but also not, but not like a, not a, an apathetic mom. Yeah, yeah. So I guess what I was getting at, sorry, slowly was just the idea that she, you know, a lot of times people minimize teenagers' problems. Yeah. Yeah, just a kid it's just a phase he'll be over right. it right you know and her mom with the you know more wisdom more life experience like she gets that sometimes maybe these things aren't as important in the long run as they are in the moment but it's not but she's not she's not uh patronizing about it she's not um i can't yeah she's not patronizing she's not putting her her daughter down like oh, it's not important she really gives her space right and says in the moment this is important to you i'm gonna help you with this so yeah. um the the mom being the lawyer and writing, you know, with the military. I don't. Do you have any family military experience? Is, is there a little bit of mom, a little bit of you and mom, or not necessarily? Is the, I is think the lawyer I, thing the last connection? Yeah. Well, I, I think definitely there's a little me of mom in the mom, and I. Uh, uh, one of the decisions I made as a writer was to make her grandfather the generation that immigrated, and her mom right. the 
a second generation who grew up here because I wanted uh, Olivia to have someone who experienced uh, what she has gone through and is able to help her navigate that. Mm. And I feel like there is a definite cultural difference. Like, for example, like my parents came from Taiwan and uh, I grew up here and we definitely have some cultural differences, which um, which make us uh, I think we experience we we don't experience things differently, but being able to talk about it is different in a way than say I would talk to like my brother who grew up here and if we had some sort of like or I would talk to my friends who grew up here like be like oh this thing happened to me and they'd be like yes and we would have a different kind of conversation than I would say have with my parents so having her mom be that figure to me was very important so that she would have some sort of um almost like a mentor figure who could get her yeah, through definitely. these difficult experiences um, was important to me. And then um, regarding, yeah, there's a little bit of lawyer in there. I actually have uh, one of my good friends is in JAG. So I would like email uh, her. <laughs> like, oh, is this right? Like, can I use this? Uh, so um, yeah, and she's amazing. Um, she's in JAG with the Navy. And uh, so I, I thought that that'd be cool to have her mom have there. that kind of background. And it would explain her um, knowledge of the military and all sure. that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, you talked about that kind of cultural, you know, generational um, gap or divide or yeah. small differences, but you had that where Livia talked about going, I guess, a few years before had gone to Taiwan, right? Yes. With the family. And it was kind of like, she was, she was the American. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's definitely this diaspora. Yeah. This, this uh -huh. experience. And I feel like that's like, um, I mean, that's certainly been my experience where it's like, uh, you are in America, but people don't always treat you exactly 100% as like an American. But then I would go to Taiwan and they'd be like, oh my gosh, you walk like an American and your language skills are very spotty. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so you're not quite fitting in either one. And so being in that in-between space, you know, uh -huh. and how to navigate that is, uh, it's actually something I explore a lot more in my next book, but um, but this okay. one too, a little bit. You even so, walk like an American, huh? No, apparently that's what my mom said. Wow. She's like, you dress like an American, but you walk like an American. I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Apparently that's true. Oh my gosh. I'm I'm much more Americanized. I'm, I'd be like, I guess, third generation, but you know, most mostly Italian. And like even yeah. going to Italy, I remember like the Italians right away were like they knew we were they're like Americani. Like <laughs> was, they knew like, right away, right? Yeah. And I was like, I could have I couldn't have been in the time, you know what I mean? But just right yeah. away, yeah, just, I don't know, dress or like you said, walk. Yeah. I don't know. yeah, there's some markers that make it immediately obvious. I mean, definitely yeah. clothes, I think, and language, but also, okay. yeah, I think just our way of expressing ourselves or movement or something is different. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. She, she being Olivia, Olivia, she makes a couple little faux pas. Like, you know, everything is, everything is recorded at the school, just like it is in our world now. Yeah. She made some comments about, you know, sheeple and, you know, yeah, these groups and these these clicks, everyone's, you know, following and, you know, that goes up on IG and it's kind of like you just can't make in the world of high school. It's, it seems like it's so hard to make any small mistakes. And now everything's recording gets put up online. Right. Yeah. So it's even more yeah. troublesome. Yeah. Yeah. But she gets those small acts of kindness, you know, talk about looking back at the things her grandfather done for her, you know, Griff, um, be, you know, they become they become actually talk to each other. It's not just, you know. Yeah, sitting next to each other at lunch and they really they really hit it off there might even be a little bit of a, of a crush there you know yes maybe one way maybe both ways definitely yeah yeah you know and i believe it's right after she had one where you know some of the stuff went online about her and real small act of kindness or, or maybe not small that he takes her they get a new phone even like a french fry yeah. case that they, they bond yeah. over that yeah and they really you know and he he welcomes her into the to the nerd net right yeah 
the idea like you talk about they're they're invisible they're kind of behind the scenes right olivia is like a social scientist she's she talks about like the third estate with the french yeah the french revolution yeah and really brings that to the group One of the group members in the NerdNet is Peter, and I really, obviously, having a great name like he does. Um, uh, you know, right. besides, besides that, like he's he just wears his emotions on his sleeves. He's he's extra as the as the young people would say these days, right? He's yes. Just yes. Hard not to like him. I, I could I could see if you know him in real life, it's kind of could be a lot, but um, <laughs> but, you, but you go to love him as a reader because he really is, you know, seems to be a kind-hearted and really pure kind of kind of guy. Okay. Oh, um, yeah. But I guess my point is that he, and more so later in the book, but he is really like, hey, are we doing this the right way? We're not trying to bring others down. Yeah, We're trying to, you know, uh, bring justice, but doesn't necessarily mean you need to like, you know, shame people and stuff like that. Right. It's kind of a big question and it changes throughout the book, I guess. But like, are we, do do you as the writer feel sympathy for Mitzi? I mean, she does some, some terrible things. We'll talk about a little bit later, some really horrible things. Yeah. Up, yeah. You know, racist. Right. Right. Leave. But she's got a younger brother who's got big time medical bills. You know, right. mom's not making the money anymore. Right. She is kind of in that classic, like, you know, Instagram life. And she's literally an influencer. And, yep. you know, she's limiting her choice in how she can live. Do we, is that maybe not the right question? Is it more just about like, we need to accept she, who she is for what she is? Or do is there a sort of sympathy that you do feel? Yeah, it's interesting. Because I feel like as a as a writer, you have to you don't have to like all your characters, but you definitely have to at least have some empathy for each one. And for her, I feel like she, I do see her almost as a victim of her worldview that she's always been taught and she's not yet old enough or mature enough to challenge it. Mm -hmm. So she is, she is acting in a way that's very consistent with the values that she has always been taught at home, even though they are not correct. Um, And at the end, you know, my hope, uh, you know, as, as an author, you always hope that you're right, that your characters will get better. It You don't know, you know, mm-hmm. but my hope is that at some point she will get challenged and she will become better, but it's not actually, the book ends and it's not actually clear if she does or not. She may exactly. end up continue this way, which I think is actually kind of tragic um, oh. that she will continue in this fashion and never, never kind of uh, challenge what she believes to be true um but you know who knows yeah as she continues to rule like the you know the mean girl that she is and with her crew adeline and tell me the the one name the one who's kind of uh a hacker of sorts heidi sorry not heidi the one of one of mitzi's crew the one don don oh don yes yes Right, right right Right. And so, you know, she's got these these minions. Right. And it's just it's just such a weird, like weird in a cool way society where not too many people necessarily like Mitzi, but she still keeps that power. Yeah. Right. And so the yeah. nerd net, they start to they have this cool logo like it's like N squared. Yeah. Right. Into the, power do, into the power of N. Right. And they, yeah. so they start to put their stuff out there and really working behind the scenes. Right. And, you know, even like Adeline, she. She's she's learned she's found her lane so to speak. She's got her own Instagram little empire, and it's just and yeah. Livy really traces it. And it's just like snark, yeah, you know, kind of snark at first, and then just like outright mean, yeah. um, you know, hor- horrible type of things, but all to get those likes. Yeah. But as the relationship grows with with Griff, 
they really start to bond over some some issues in their families that are that that are alike. Yeah. And really important, you know, they start to cook together and hang out together. Yeah. Um, and she decides to make Ruzu fun. Am I saying that yeah. correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Proud, but also kind of like, oh, is he gonna like this? And we can just do something more simple and that kind of thing. And they really start to to bond. And I'm not, I'm gonna leave it alone about their relationship down the road. People have to read. Right. Um, but there's a lot that they have they have in common. Yes. Tell me, tell me, tell us about the the the, nerd, the other NerdNet members. Will, Heidi, talked a little bit about Peter. Yeah, yeah. So all of them, I pictured them all kind of like bringing their own, like a little like Ocean's Eleven team, you know, like each yeah. bring their own like little skill sets. Because Heidi is a hacker, and Will really um, knows a lot about people. And Peter, of course, is kind of I see him as the moral center mm. of the group. So he's kind of always like the voice of um, compassion. And Griff is the grand organizer. And then mm. Olivia joins and she's the military strategist. You know, she kind of like puts it all together in a way that they can get a plan moving forward. Yeah. Um, but part of her journey is definitely realizing that as much as she has been a victim of, you know, racism, she herself is quite judgmental. You know, she herself has been dismissive of what Mitzi does, of, of influences in general. She has her own opinions and assumptions about people. And part of her journey is realizing that she has some growth to do on her own as well. You know, everybody carries these kind of, uh, you know, automatic judgments or automatic mm -hmm. views about people. And the book hopefully is about taking the moment to challenge that, you know, what, even if it first comes up to, to think, oh, well, is there more to this story? Or is there more to this person mm -hmm. or to this story than what I am assuming to be true? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 one thing to talk about like, oh, you know, everyone's their own person and don't judge a book by its cover. But just the way that you really subtly do it throughout the book is is really well done um you know Heidi like sounds like Heidi is like balling yeah she's right? great yeah but, but it's not like ah rich people are necessarily bad like she she wants to do good she does do good she you know helps those who need help and even Missy you know like I mean I think Livy even says it like you don't have to forgive her or people yeah. like her but yeah. like you talk about you know some sort of empathy seeing them you talk about Livy being judgmental, and I can see that. I can also yeah. see why she'd be defensive. Yes, yes. But but I mean, it's, but it's not the same as racism. It's not it's not to that same level, right? I mean, some of the stuff that was um, right. upon her was was horrible and right. kind of right. stuff that I, I had have to assume ruins people's lives. I yeah. wonder, like, how much of the the racism is kind of like exists in this bubble that is the book, and how much was you kind of like in the greater like stop you know, Asian hate and like how much that was kind of on your mind. Yeah, that was definitely on my mind. And it's very interesting because, um, you know, I actually uh, I wrote this little essay about this because I've been writing this book for 10 years, you know, so I had drafted it. I had started drafting it during the Obama administration. It was like a very positive time, you know, like it was a very, uh, uh, seems yes, like a very, our, our country was moving towards more inclusion. It seemed like it was becoming more compassionate. And then of course, by the time I, uh, you know, started revising and getting this book on the way, it was not only a different president, but we also had um, the pandemic happen. And there was this kind of unprecedented, rise in Asian American hate. And um, my editor, Jen, who is brilliant, um, she had put a note in the side of my of my original manuscript. I mean, originally, there had always been a racist incident against Livy in the beginning that had always been there. Mm -hmm. But she was like, you know, I want to know why does she become a revolutionary? Like, what is the 
what is the character trait that like what what uh -huh. in her past drives her to make this almost. action yeah and so she had a couple of things she was like oh, was it her dad was it this was it did she have you know past like racial actions happening and then like as soon as I saw that one word I was like she said like as soon as I saw the word race I was like oh that's it you know like because I myself as an author had all this unprocessed you know, grief and thinking and like, you know, um, just just general anger about what was happening to the Asian American community during the pandemic, how we had become scapegoats, how there was this increase in violence, how I had to now call my parents and be like, you know, really be safe out there because there's all these attacks even in San Francisco and all that, you know, um, and there was a lot of feelings I had about that and they made their way into the book, you know, so yes, absolutely, absolutely. That was always, um, that was always the intention from the beginning to address mm -hmm. yeah. that kind of. feel like it'd be so hard to write a book well to write a book period <laughs> it'd be so hard to write a book in these days where technology changes so much right oh my gosh yeah yeah I mean where you feel like you know you, you write about something and it becomes obsolete by the time the book comes out oh my book has twitter in it I was like oh it's historical fiction <laughs> oh I didn't even think about that x right yeah yeah I was like oh I guess it's already historical historical that's hilarious so yeah. yeah, I mean, the, on the second and third printings, I'll just change it to X. There you go. Yeah, right? exactly. There you go. exactly. But um, so you know, but there's, but it's just so well done, and it is, you know, it's universal, and you can, you know, people can read it in twenty years, and fifteen years, and forty years, because who yeah, who doesn't so. know about like clicks and yeah. wanting to feel, yeah. wanting to feel like you stand out, but also wanting to not stand out at all, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, what I really, uh, one of the things, I, one of the main things I really appreciate about the book is the idea of you know expression self-expression, these, these ideas of authenticity that a lot that has to do with social media. As yeah. an English teacher, as you know, a lover of poetry and writing, yeah, they, there's a place called Castle they go to that's like described as, quote, the church of the spoken word. Yeah. yeah. Right. I wonder about that scene. Well, well, it may not be the inciting incident. I thought, felt like that was a really important scene where um, for so many reasons, I wonder about the, I guess I wonder just in general about expression and poetry and, and Castle and how that worked its way into the book. Yeah, um, it in a very uh, in a very roundabout way. It was in it was in from the beginning um, beginning drafts, and the way it kind of made its way in. Um, I used to compete in forensics in mm -hmm. college, so forensics is made up of speech and debate. And I was a debater. I was pre law. I was absolutely okay. a debater. And my coach, Mark Hickman, who is a uh, fabulous, a, a couple mm -hmm. years in, he was like, you know, listen. I want you to compete in poetry interpretation. I was like, what? I don't think anyone thinks that's a great idea. Like that is not going to go well. But he's like, no, no, no. This is going to help your debate. It's going to help your communication skills. So um, I did not do well. Spoiler alert. I did not do well. I was not, but I was in the room with people who were amazing. Okay. And that to me, like, I still remember like the, the, the feeling of watching someone in 10 minutes, like being able to crack open a character and show exactly what this person was about and then close their notebook and, and get off stage and being able to do that. That to me was very transformative. And I thought for this book, which is a book about perception versus how people are, like mm -hmm. I thought spoken word poetry would be a great way because you can, you have your assumptions about the person as you see them walk on stage, but then within 
couple of minutes, as soon as they speak, as soon as they perform, your, your perception of them alters based upon what they're telling you, you know, mm -hmm. so I thought, oh, it's like, oh, this is a great vehicle for yeah. her to learn that lesson. So it seemed to me to, to integrate in a yeah. methodical way. It, you did such a cool way too, where it's like literally outside the city, I, you know, this idea of like, you you yeah. travel somewhere else, you're a different person, you're a different person with your mom than you are with your yeah. friends and you are with yeah. your grandparents. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm having such a brain freeze. The town is pleasant, not Pleasantville, Pleasant. Uh, Plainstown. <laughs> Plainstown, excuse me, right? Plainstown, so plain. Ohio. Great yeah. name. Great. Is there really yeah. a Plainstown, Ohio? I don't think so. I okay. don't think so. Okay, yeah. yeah. There might be, I, but I'm not aware of one. Yeah. Right. So this idea that everything is so plain, right? Smaller yeah. school. Yeah. Everyone knows everyone's business anyway. And then there's yeah. the whole social media thing. Right. I have to say, when you said, you know, I feel like I heard the Ohio. <laughs> it's a total Ohio. Yeah, right. Or yeah, no. We always say yeah, no, uh, <laughs> which uh, actually doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you say yes and no? But everyone says yeah. Uh, <laughs> and pop. <laughs> we always say pop. Oh, pop. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, so with the, the idea of the self-expression and yeah, just that like that visceral, like when when Peter did his poems and, yeah. and some other people was just like, wow, like just almost like crying. And there's a girl who like vomited. She was, you know, it's such an emotional, emotional yeah. thing. Yeah. Not exactly the same thing, but when when Livy was talking about some of the past experiences she had with race with racism, yeah, she talks about how like it was almost worse from adults. It was almost worse if it wasn't like an epithet, but just like making her feel like quote something else. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, you, you speak English well, like those type of comments, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I thought that was so interesting and such a just on a craft level, such a uh, just like snaps, you know, snaps to that one. <laughs> I guess the last thing I asked you is about the book is just like about something else. Like I remember, I remember walking through like the cafeteria or something like that. Yeah. And th this was more like, I went to an all boys school. This was more like at a, at a church thing or something. And there's this girl that I really liked. And I was just like, she's watching me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure she wasn't. And I'm sure she was right. Just this idea of like, always, yeah. feeling, always feeling like something else as a teenager, you're too tall. Yeah. You're not athletic enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, then to add yeah. to that, add to that, the racism part. Yeah. I just wonder about like how you kind of see like being like something else and how that came into the book. Yeah, I think it's like definitely as a teenager, there's always that sense of extreme self-consciousness. You know, that's what's yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. like if I had to pick a, a, a defining characteristic of being a teenager, that would be it. Where it's just like you're just yeah. so conscious of yourself and of mm -hmm. how you look and how what you're saying and like oh my god why did I say that and like you know yes. just like this constant you know uh tape that goes through your head about like oh my mm -hmm. gosh um and I think when you're when you're Asian American and when you're um when you when you're Asian American in a place where there's not many Asian Americans it becomes even more pronounced because you know, you're just going on and like, like for me, like I was born in the United States, I speak English, I, I'm just going on in my life. And like, so you think you're like, oh, I am integrated within this, you know, this place that I'm in with the people that I'm in. And then all of a sudden comes the, oh, but you're, you know, there comes a microaggression, there comes a reminder that, oh, even though I think I am part of this thing, clearly everyone else is perceiving me as an other. Mm -hmm. And that, that, moment and it's always surprising that moment is just like oh that's right I had forgotten for a moment mm -hmm. you know and so that is the kind of feeling I wanted to give to Livy and I think it is right that sometimes it's um you know it's sometimes it's it's the very small things that people are like you know uh, that people pass off as like oh it's just a joke or just a thing it's still a way to 
mark someone else as an other, which in itself is not, it is harmful. Hmm. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. The book Love and Resistance has little historical fix for people who are interested, some French, you know, some some third estate French Revolution stuff, a lot yeah. about like the, the American Revolution, you know, Sun Tzu and the art of war. Yeah. Um, a lot of cool illusions like that. It's very 2023 in technology, but it's also very, like I said, universal and timeless as far as just like fitting in and all those things. The dialogue is ridiculously, like like I said, snappy. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> Phew. And I, you know, I appreciate you like giving like agency is not the word, but like giving credit to teenagers, like, you know, not dumbing it down. Like they, they do, you know, especially with all the memes and things they watch and like just their cultural capital, I guess, you know, is like, totally. right. Totally. It's just like yeah. through the roof. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I have a teenager a and they're so smart. Oh, exactly. You know, you know better than I, I mean. Oh, they totally, they just, they just get everything. Like you, you, you can't, you can't, underestimate these this generation at all right. they are still on top of it yeah except i got a little bone to pick they don't they, they all read they all wear those shirts or the bands they don't know the bands necessarily but that's all right right maybe i know your, maybe your kids do but no 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 yeah no the pins i know i know right, i had right, i had right. to stick it in there because i felt it was a good touch but uh, yes i feel like someone at some point would be like what's that <laughs> yeah. But you know, like, like, like a lot of students, they'll, they'll be wearing a Metallica shirt or like Nirvana or something. You're like, yeah. hey, name one song or like Public Enemy, name one song. <laughs> name one song. It's all right. It's, all right. It's, <laughs> a, it's a style now. It's a style now. Right. Yeah. Right. You, I'm sure there's a, there was a big, uh, you know, sigh of relief and maybe some tears when you finished the book. So you, you would be totally justified to just chill. And like, that was my, that's my great contribution to the world. But I wonder if you have any future projects you want to share. I do actually. I um I have another book coming out next summer. I think it's yeah. summer. I don't have the date yet. July fourth. Uh, uh, I don't sure yet. They're going to okay. tell me probably okay. in this fall. It's called Asking for a Friend. Um, mm. it is another contemporary YA, and it's about a Taiwanese American girl who runs a uh, dating advice column with uh, this boy that she grew up with. He's also Taiwanese American, and she's very sunshine, and he's very grumpy. Uh -huh. um, and they have to win this uh, competition by doing this advice column. But it's a lot about, um, as I talked about before, it's a lot about uh, growing up and having your parents teach you the rules and values of their culture, but that not necessarily applying in the country that you're growing up in. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a lot about the diaspora experience um, mm -hmm. and her choosing uh, what to believe in and, and how to live her life basically. So yeah. Asking hopefully. for a friend. Yeah. Asking for a friend okay. comes out in summer, also from Quiltry, HarperCollins. Um, okay. Yeah. I, sometime in the summer. I don't have a date. But. Yeah. 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 Well, I have a cover. I have a cover, which I can't share, but I love the cover oh, so nice. much. I literally squeed like it came in my inbox. I was like, oh my God, "Whoa, this is so cute!" Yeah, so I love it. I love it. Yeah, I I wanna I wanna know more about. I'm gonna say a little plot, but I wanna know more about Will and Heidi. I wanna know about Griff. Yeah, and Livy, because there's you know there's there's some there's some hookups, there's some kissing, there's some you know. Some <laughs> right. um, yeah. And they're they're you know so I'd love to know more about those characters too. But that uh, asking for a friend sounds awesome. Any oh, recommend any cool places we should buy Love and Resistance? Oh, um, I did do. I went on what I've been calling the Sharpie tour. So I've been signing uh, car copies. Um, yeah. So in the Bay Area, at Books Inc. Um, and Barnes and Noble, uh, select Barnes and Noble, Kepler's in the right. Peninsula uh, has some signed copies. So Barnes and Noble, El Cerrito, Redwood City, San Bruno, mm. San Mateo. Uh, I think San Jose has a couple copies, but they're not signed. Um, and then in New York, I signed some in 
uh, at the Strand and Barnes and Noble Union Square, Fifth Avenue, Tribeca, and Atlantic Avenue. But it's also available unsigned online. Mm-hmm. Uh, Target, Walmart, Amazon, um, obviously uh, uh, the independent booksellers as well uh, online as well. So all kind of all over the place. Very cool. Are you easy to be to be found online? Uh, yes, I am. Um, I'm on twi- uh, what was formerly Twitter, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not on. Actually, I'm not on Twitter that much. But it's uh, yeah. HL underscore Kara. I'm mostly on Instagram. Okay. HL underscore Kara. I am not promising I'm going to TikTok, but I am. I am peaking at TikTok. Same yeah. HL underscore Kara, and then I have a website at karahlchen.com. You kind of like taking the tour of TikTok, but you haven't like decided to join the school yet, kind of thing. Terrifies me. I I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's very scary. <laughs> it was so awesome talking to you. Um, sounds like we're just a couple hours away, fellow Northern Californian. Yeah. Um, congrats on Love and Resistance. It was great read. Like I said, I'm gonna definitely get a copy or two from my classroom library. Oh, and thank you. Uh, I I just started to do like a like a spotlight, like book of the week, and, and if not this week, the next. Oh, thank you so much. That's awesome. And it's been great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's been uh, it's been great. Such a pleasure. And I wish you great luck with the next book and with the 19 books that come after that. <laughs> thank you. It'll probably take me like 50 years at the rate that I write. That's all right. That's all right. Great talking to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Take thank care. you so much. Thanks again for listening to the episode with Kara H.L. Chen and continue good luck to her with her writing. And I'm so looking forward to continue to follow her career and her important work. Subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Watch and subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast channel. Sign up now for the Chills of Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills of Will podcast Peter Real. My last name is R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look in an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Please tune in for episode 205 with Josh Riedel. He was Instagram employee number one, and he is the author of the novel, Please Report Your Bug Here. His essays and short stories have appeared in Esquire, Slate, Lit Hub, One Story, Joyland, and elsewhere. The episode will air on September 26th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Kara H.L. Chen, whose work, like Love and Resistance, gives you chills at will. Thank you.